Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. And so, we find number one, Ed, means uh, witness, Edda, uh, means, that's an Ayn, you know, that's uh, something in Hebrew and Semitic languages you don't have in other languages. And that's a body of witness, of witnesses, that is. And from that comes Edut, because what is it that, it, that a witness has? He has a testimony, see, that's how he can testify. And when you have a body of uh, witnesses, they are called all together Edan. That's what God was calling out of Egypt. And this is what his people were going to be. The witnesses of the whole world, of who he is and what his plan is. And so you have Ed, number one, Edan, number two, which is the body of witnesses. And they have Edu, testimony. And the people of God, in Revelation, are called to the end, from the beginning until the end. The people who have the testimony of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, anciently, and the days of Moses, God told him, you take this witness that I gave you, the entire body of the law, where my mind has been revealed, with my plan of salvation in many ways, and later on I'm going to magnify it as time went by. You put the whole thing in a special ark that I wanted, to construct, you know, I wanted you to construct, and you call it the ark of the testimony. And that's a replica of one that is in heaven. You see? So you see, uh, reality of both, the physical and the spiritual. And that's called the Ark of the Testimony, or Aron Ha'edut. And there he said, you put the entirety of the law, not just the Ten Commandments, the two table, tablets, but also everything that he gave him, all the instructions that he gave him later on. So when time went by, when people wanted to make a copy of the original, so they can teach all of Israel what is the pure testimony of God, they went to the tabernacle. They went to the temple. They went to uh, where the priests. Uh, we're keeping it, and if the king, God said, is going to be over you, when he begins his reign, I want him to go to the temple, go and ask the priest to bring that, uh, that book of, of uh, you know, the original one, and make a copy of it, and write it with your own hands. So it's as if you received it directly from me, so I'm speaking to you directly there. That's what he's saying in essence to him. And you're going to rule my people with my fear, and don't think that they belong to you. And your heart is going to be humble before me, and they are going to be your brethren, not your subjects. So this is where he went, Aron Haidut, that's number four. And the disciples of Christ to this day are spoken of, as I said before that, in the book of Revelation, other places, is the witnesses. The twelve disciples were called to be witnesses of the resurrection, of the teachings of Christ, of the teachings of God, of the teachings of the kingdom of God, of the teachings of the whole body of truth. To be given to the body of witnesses that themselves will go on and teach others to the whole world and be a light to the world, a salt of the earth, a light, a candle on top of a hill. Every one of us is a witness and therefore we all belong to the same Eda, body of witnesses and that's what a church and so the question is always and going to be asked through this series, who and what is the true church of God? Is God Said it, not as men. Said it. A lot of truth. An injection of poison into it. And perversion. And that's why I have so many churches out there. They all claim to be... They don't even know what they are. They don't even know what the word means. So how can you witness? What do you witness to? That's why they say the law is done away with when you, this is the very place, you know, our own I do. Our of the testimony where the, the truth was being preserved. And they say, well, that's done away with. Now we've got our own thing. We invented our own uh, teachings. And even that, supposedly, 
that they claim to follow, they don't. They know the new, what they call the New Testament. And so, disciples of Christ were always called witnesses. And they had the testimony of Christ. They had the testimony of God. And now, when God called these people of Israel, he called them Adat Israel. That's what their name. The church in the wilderness, the church of Israel, the congregation of Israel, Adat Israel, begun with physical people, among whom there were spiritual Israelites, like Moses, a spiritual Jew, so to speak, later on, that terminology uh, was borrowed, and because salvation is of the Jews, that is, salvation is of the true witnesses of God. That's the intent of the statement. The true witnesses of God, who have the testimony of God, not their own. And so they're called Adat Israel. And uh, in Psalm 82, they're called Adat El, the church of God. You see, that's not all a new name that came 2,000 years ago. That's been from Exodus. From, Genesis, from Exodus 12, verse 1, when God called them Adat Israel. What were they going to testify about? To testify to the whole world about his laws and commandments, his teachings, his statutes, his judgments, his way, the purpose of it all. So that what he told Abraham will be fulfilled, that he knew all nations of the earth shall be blessed, not through ignorance of my laws, but through knowledge and light of my laws and obedience to them, and obedience to the one who gave them, who had to give his life for them, because they disobeyed that law. And so, you have the Adat Israel, and then the number six would be Adat El, spiritual church of God, as you see in Psalm 82, 1. That is Psalm 82 and verse 1. Yeah, he's speaking about God stands in the midst of Adat El, in the midst of the church of God, in the midst of the congregation of God, in the midst of the body of witnesses of God that testify to him. And he's speaking about a spiritual organism now which were previously a physical organism and is transformed into spiritual by receiving the Holy Spirit. Not only the few now will have it, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and those who lived before, and then Moses and the 70 elders who received the Holy Spirit, and Joshua and Aaron and many others down the road, and nobody knows how many they are. In the book of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you read about many of them, but there were many others. But God does not even tell us about, uh, about them no more than he told uh, Elijah about the 7,000, who they are. He just mentioned the figure, and Elijah didn't know that. So, let's not uh, second-guess God, you know, who are his people who are not. God knows who, they, who his people are, and sometimes we don't know that. Other times we do, by their fruits we shall know them. And sometimes they are around us, and other times they don't. So we should never think we are the only true church of God, because that's a confusion even make that statement. That's obviously, people don't know their right from their left as they should to even say that. God has his people everywhere. And you remember what he told Elijah when he got into that state of mind, which was height of arrogance. Elijah said, I am the only one. And God in essence tells him, what do you think you are the only one? What about the 7,000 that I have? And what was the result of that? He got fired. That's in essence what happened to Elijah in, in that mount, the mount of God. God told him, well, that's the kind of an attitude you have now. You go, you go and anoint uh, uh, for the last thing. I'll give you another job. Uh, go anoint uh, Hazael, king of Syria, which he didn't. Elisha did it. And then he told him, you anoint Jehu, 
you know, as the king of uh, Israel, which he didn't. Elijah did it again. Actually, Elijah sent a messenger to do it. And we don't know why Elijah didn't follow on those orders. You wonder about his attitude at the time. You know, he is a great man of God. But a man of like passions, as we read later on, like us. He had his own faults and weaknesses like we do. And then he told him, and you go anoint Elisha instead of you, because you are fired in essence. So we should never be that arrogant to think we are the only one. That's arrogance. That's a blasphemy, you know, to tell God that we are the only one, you've got nobody else. We should never be of that attitude, but be humble. Be glad if we are people of God, and be glad with that. That should suffice us. And so it's important to understand all these concepts. And so we have, number one, aid, witness. Number two, a da, body of witnesses. Number three, a dut, testimony. Number four, arona, a dut, the ark of the testimony. Number five, adat Israel, that is, the body of witnesses of Israel who were physical and some of them were spiritual. And then number six, adat el, which is the church of God. Spiritually speaking, not entirely, not just some of them, as it was in the past. And then you have ultimately Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, the mother of us all. That's the ultimate church, so to speak. That's why heaven in Jerusalem is called the mother, the church of us all, the mother of us all. So that's, that's the ultimate of all things. And a lot of people get confused over that, don't even know who they are, and they have to think that they are the people of God. So God says, come out of Babylon. And he who thinks who stands, you know, take heed, as Paul said, lest he fall. Should never be arrogant. All of us have ignorance to one degree or the other, and I'm sure in, in everything that I will bring here into your attention, you know, I'll have some blind spots here and there, and it, it's, uh, it's okay if I get corrected, no problem. After all, if you give me the truth and you give it, you know, I get it for free, why should I complain? You see, that's the way the people of God should be. You should never be arrogant and say, whom do you think you are? It's not a question of whom do you think you are. Uh, who, who I am? I'm nobody. No, no, nothing. It's not who, who I am. It's whether what is being said, is it of God or is it of man? That's all there is to it. And that's how you know who the people of God are. By their fruits, you shall know them. They're haughty and arrogant and, and uh, feisty and they fight you. And I think, you know, whom do you think you are? You know, I'm so and so. But who are you? You're nobody. Well, you immediately know who they are. And so, we're going to continue now with this point, you know, that I injected about the church. We have to know first to begin with, what is the church? A lot of people have problems nowadays because of that. You know, they don't know about the laws that govern the church. They say, well, how come the New Testament doesn't talk much about government? And so forth. And many things that are missing there and misunderstood, that's because we don't even know what the church is to begin with. So, from first state, we're already on the wrong step. And so, that's beginning from the beginning, come out of Babylon, step by step, from point A to point Z. And that's what we're going to do through this series, until we get to the end of the line. And by then, then when you come back to the study of the law, then it would make sense. Otherwise, people say, as soon as they hear about teaching the law, they say, well, why don't you teach us the New Testament? Well, only ignorant people speak that way. Because to begin with, they don't understand what the Church of God is all about. What the plan of God is all about. They're not good witnesses. A good witness is the one that saw the whole thing, not partial. And then, by the partial information, he deceives many. And that's what happened when many came in the name of Christ and deceived many. Oftentimes they were very sincere people, but had partial information and got mixed up and passed on, you know, 
uh, mixture of truth and error. We should never be that kind of people. Anyway, so we're going to continue from this point, and we're going to ask ourselves again, who and what is the true identity of the Church of God, and the teachings of God, and the righteousness of God, what is seen, what is not, from God's point of view. Who are his people? What is he going to do with them? Not what people think, you know, uh, who are his people. And therefore, since we are not interested in any man's opinion, either mine or anybody else, let's go to God himself, to Moses, to the prophets, and lastly to the apostles, for the complete answer and the complete truth. And we're going to do a lot of reading, and uh, hopefully from that time on, uh, very little commentary, just read what God himself said, and he that has an ear, let him hear what God is saying directly to him, through his own words. So, we're going to begin now from Genesis 12. And, as we already read earlier, Genesis 11, at the end of the chapter, a new genealogy that God is beginning, through Terah, the father of Abraham. And God has a reason why he's using this terminology. And so, that's what he says there. God is beginning, in essence, a new phase. And that new phase will be the permanent one and will have eternal consequences. And so, now we go back to Abraham. Now he's brought totally, not only out of Babylon, but also out of Haran, which was not in Babylon, was way up there, Syria, Aram, at the time. But even out of that, God says, totally come out of that, and verse, and we're going to begin with chapter 12 of Genesis, and we'll end up with the last verse of Revelation. How long it'll take? God knows. And we read, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. When you see I, 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 it better be God and not a man saying, I, 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 like Nebuchadnezzar and like many men in our midst. Talking about all their accomplishments. And verse, uh, he says, in verse 2, And I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you, because I will do it, you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. That's why I said, never curse people. Never speak evil of people who are created in the image of God, especially not people of God. You know, they've, got, they've done something bad, let God curse them, let God punish them, vengeance is his, not ours. And our heart becomes clean. After all, who suffers when we hate? We are the one who suffer, not the one that we hate. They may not even know about it. And so it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you begin to understand what church is all about. Kyriakos, you know. Well, that is uh, the, the, the name, Kyriakon in, in Greek. That means body of witnesses. Of course, there it's not understood in the, in, the, in the Greek word. You have to go to the Hebrew to the beginning. That means you have to go to the word that God himself used, which uh, obviously all the apostles also use the same terminology. It's just when the words were translated into other languages, uh, much was lost in the translation, and a new religion arose based on misinformation. And a lot of truth also. And so that's what God tells him. And verse 4, very plainly, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. No if, yes, and but. And Lot went with him. Why Lot? God has something in mind also for Lot. In the future we shall see that. 
And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haram. Then in verse 7 we read, Now that he is in the land, arriving at Canaan, and we read in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. He didn't say to you, because he never gave it to him. He said, To your descendants I will give this land. At this point Abraham doesn't know how long it's going to take. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That became a temple, a dwelling place, and there he worshipped God. And, and uh, uh, the fathers made it very plain, and that was the word of God, that anywhere in the world where you are, if you worship God, you can build a uh, uh, place of sacrifice and offer sacrifices to God. And this is what Abraham was doing. In Beersheba, and near Hebron, near Bethlehem, up and down, and when Jacob was traveling to Syria and coming back, you see what I mean? It's totally different. And then, later on, God says, well, I want you to build an altar and a temple only in one place, because as a nation, you should all be unified. But the time will come when God is going to call all of humanity, and he makes it very plain. There are several scriptures that tell you about that. Isaiah 19 is one place where there is going to be an, an altar in, in the land of Egypt, where they will sacrifice to God. And it makes it plain in other scriptures that all around the earth there are going to be altars of incense and an altar to sacrifice and bring offerings to God, to praise the God of heaven, because they are all going to have uh, witnesses of God, of the nation that God called through Abraham to show them the righteous path. Not like that priest that came out of Israel who was perverted to begin with and told the Samaritan a mixture of truth and error. And so they continued to be uh, Babylonians just like they were before that, with a little bit of uh, mixture of truth in what they were doing. And so, we'll go, we continue now to chapter 13, verses 14 and 16, where the story continues. Chapter 13, verses 14 to 16, we read, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, because again, God didn't really want Lot as a part of this plan. He didn't want Ishmael, he didn't want Edom, but is he so? He didn't want all the children of Keturah. He wanted only a specific person, one after the other, and he ended up with Jacob. And he remained with Jacob. And he will remain with Jacob to the, few, to the end of times. I'm speaking about eternity, not just only the coming of, uh, of Christ over here in Jerusalem, even beyond that. And people don't realize that. And so we read in uh, verses uh, 14, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. While Abraham was alive, he didn't have it. But since Abraham was going to be resurrected, Abraham will have it after all. And beyond that. And that's only the beginning of the promises. And so we're reading now about blessings and covenants and promises that established the true body of witnesses of God, English, true church. But with the background, hopefully, you can read more than just the word church into it, but everything that is behind it, the body of witnesses of God. And that's what God was offering now to Abraham. And then we go to chapter 15 and verses 4 and 7, where we read, God continues, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. Speaking about 
about Eliezer, because Abraham said, I'm an old man, I don't have a child, I have this Eliezer of Damascus, he's faithful, he knows the laws of God, he's obedient to the law of God, because Abraham taught everyone, everyone in sight, the ways of God, and so did his father, and so did his grandfather, and so forth. He didn't grow up in ignorance. And God says, no, I don't want that person either. I will decide who is going to be the child of promise. And after that, uh, Jacob also. Also Jacob and Esau. You may not uh, realize that they, they too were uh, uh, God was involved in their birth. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Abraham is a nice, pretty old man. But that's the way God does things. When it's impossible, he does the impossible. And that becomes a witness that our God is the God of all possibility. And what is impossible for your God, my God can do it. And that's a part of the message that Israel was to take to the whole world. And then we read in uh, verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Those that come out of your own body, and he's not talking only about those who will be of the spirit. You see? Spiritual children of Abraham. But even of your own body. And of course it's a generic statement for many, 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 many. That's what he means by that. Obviously, uh, there are, nobody knows how many trillions of uh, stars and planets and quasars and all that out there. But God was conveying a message, a lot, many will come out of you. In verse 6, and he believed the Lord. It was impossible. He was an old man. His wife was an old woman. But look at the father of the faithful. He believed the Lord and he counted it for him for righteousness. And that tells you an awful lot of things about the future. And later on in Romans and other places, that very concept will be introduced. Those who believe God are going to be grafted into into the commonwealth of Israel. There is no way to come to God apart from coming through Israel. And you'll see more and more what it means. And then you'll understand what is the true church of God. And verse 7, Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of all the Chaldeans. That's the first time. Then it brought him out of Haran. The second time. It's two stages. And so he does with us too. Two stages of conversion in that sense, you might say. The first one and then the, the total one. And I brought you out of all the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And then we continue in verse, verse, uh, verse 8. Now we read about uh, a covenant that is called Brit Benaptarim in Hebrew. Uh, Benaptarim means when, when you cut an animal in half and you walk through it, that was an ancient custom of making a covenant. Uh, you make it, uh, in other words, it's as if you become one. These two halves are becoming one. So it became a part of the covenant and it became an, an ancient custom also. And so it's called Brit Benaptarim. That is a covenant uh, between the two cut off pieces. Uh, all the animals, and that's what he says in verse eight. And he said, and he said, uh, there is Abraham. You know, he's wondering how is it going to happen. Though he believed, he's still wondering how is it going to happen. It's not doubting; he's just wondering. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? I need to know. 
I mean, nothing wrong with that. Verse 9, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. It's fully matured at that time and accountable and all those things. So the three, three, three. That's, that's a good, uh, time of uh, maturity, so to speak, of these uh, animals. Uh, among other things, you know, I cannot uh, tell you everything that I know about it because then I'll go on for eternity. Uh, so just suffice it at this point. And then he says in verse 10, Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down in the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. You know, like the two tables of, uh, of, uh, the, uh, of stone, the two commandments, the ten commandments, you know, one here and one there. And then you find uh, all kind of twos, you know, the two uh, laws and uh, everything, you know, those two become one. And uh, God uh, creates man and then creates a woman, the two become one. One flesh, and then God creates us and makes us one with him, and we become one. You see this concept of two there in many ways. And then he brought all this to him, and he cut them in half, and down in the middle, and placed each opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And verse 11, And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. And so, we read in essence here about the, the covenant and uh, this is what happens now in verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, and obviously the, the information later on uh, became clear that it, this was Passover time, and the selfsame day, as this happened, he brought Israel out of Egypt and made them body of witnesses, just like he made Abraham now his witness through this covenant. Up to now there were promises, now it's a covenant. And so now when the sun, verse 12, uh, was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said, that is God speaking to him, to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And that's including the land of Canaan. And I will, and will serve them. And they had a lot of problems also in the land of Canaan. As uh, you read later on, Isaac had problems with the Philistines. Jacob had problems also with the, with the people around there. Uh, after all, even a major part of uh, Syria, where he was, belonged to the land, future land of Israel. And he was being persecuted there by, by, uh, by Laban. And he, you know, he chased him into the land when, when he fled from him. So God is speaking here uh, generally and then in specific about the land of Egypt. And then he said, uh, he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and that it's not theirs yet, but it will be, and will serve them, uh, for, you know, with the exception of Egypt, and will serve them, and they will afflict them. And this whole period of time is going to be 400 years, but he didn't, he didn't say that they will go to Egypt and there will be afflicted 400 years. That's a misunderstanding on the, on the part of people who do not read the whole thing. Verse 14, And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And mind you, Egypt at the time ruled also part of the, the land of Canaan. That's why Egypt, uh, that is uh, Canaan, went down to Egypt when there was a famine in, in, in all the lands and uh, got their food from there. And also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So in, in specific, he's telling him about a certain day, which is exactly the same day when he gave him the covenant that he's going to bring his people back out of that land. And this is what we read here. And then... Uh, Verse 15, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried at a good old age. In other words, just like it told Daniel, well, I'm telling you all those things, but you're going to go 
uh, to your grave and be buried in good age, and then at the end time, those things will happen. So, in essence, it's telling the Abraham the same thing. Verse 16, but in the fourth generation, so the fourth generation from the time that he's speaking to him, from the moment he's speaking to him, in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The people that dwelt in the land were not that evil at the time. Abraham could still live in peace with them. Isaac largely lived in peace with them. Jacob mostly lived in peace with them. They were not as corrupt and all those things. So God was not about to destroy them. And then uh, in verse 18, we read about uh, verse 17, and it came to pass, when the sun went down, as it was dark, that behold, there appeared smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. That means that came from God, and so the covenant, covenant was being sealed. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. Where? From the river of Egypt. What is the river of Egypt? Some people later on say, well, you know, there's a tiny little stream in the Sinai, and that's what is the river of Egypt. No, that's not the river of Egypt. The river, yeah, with a D capital or R capital, river, meant always the Nile. That's why in Isaiah 19, you're going to read about, in that day there will be five cities in the land of Goshen that will speak the land of Canaan. You see, because that's even that part. And Egyptians today don't even know about it, and it's good that they don't know. Uh, because if they did, they'll really go stark uh, mad, you know, about this kind of uh, things. I mean, they, they think the sun belongs to them. They don't realize even a part of Egypt doesn't belong to them. God will give it to the descendants of Abram, Isaac, Jacob. That means descendants of Jacob, the Israelites, the body of witnesses. And so if your descendants says, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, from one river to the river. See? So it's from the Nile to the Euphrates, to the river Euphrates. All the territory. So he's expanding it more and more and more. And this is a covenant that God is making between Abraham and his descendants that will come out of him. And then we go to chapter 17 and verses 1 and 4. And we read, And Abraham was 19 years old, that is 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God, El Shaddai. And El Shaddai, that's a new name that is introduced here, and that, in essence, the name that Abraham and Isaac and others knew him by that name, El Shaddai, as I mentioned earlier, by the name of God. In Exodus uh, chapter 6, I believe, uh, as I mentioned, uh, God told Moses that in the, old, uh, in the old days, you know, the fathers, like Abraham, didn't know me by my name, Jehovah, which he told Moses about it. You know, and today the Jews don't, don't uh, use that because of blasphemy to them to even pronounce his name. It wasn't blasphemy to God, not blasphemy to Israel, until uh, about 2,000 years ago, maybe 2,200 years ago, when the rabbis decided to blasphemy with good intentions. They didn't want people to take the name of God uh, in vain. But God says, don't take my name in vain. He didn't say, don't take my name. He just said, don't take it in vain. You can take it, but don't do it in vain. See, with great respect. And so he said, I am God Almighty, in English, God Almighty. He didn't say, I'm God Almighty. He says, I am El Shaddai. El is, uh, you know, in other languages, became God in German, then God in, uh, in, in, in English, meaning a deity. El is the na- the name, generic name of a deity. I'm the deity, uh, Shaddai. And Shaddai means, as I mentioned earlier, Shad- Shaddai comes from Shad, which is breast. And what comes out of the breast? 
speaking about a woman nursing her child's food. In other words, I am the provider. That's what he's telling him. I am El Shaddai. I am your God that provides. I'll provide you the land. I'll provide you a son. I'll provide you blessings and so forth. So that is introducing him by that name. And that's the way Abraham knows him. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Or tamim, perfect. Uh, without uh, iniquity and deviousness and uh, doubts and all those things that enter into the minds of uh, the children of Israel. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Now first, physically he's going to be a father of many nations that came out of his own body. And then spiritually speaking, ultimately, he's going to be the father of the faithful. All nations of the earth will be children of Abraham. One will come into the bosom of Abraham, that means into the faith of Abraham, an intimate relationship with him, and he's not going to have any intimate relationship with rebellious people. So obviously they're going to have to obey the same laws that he obeyed, and not say the law is done away with. And so he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And later on, uh, in the teachings of the disciples of Christ, they expanded that. It's not that they did. This is what God said to begin with, and this is what he meant. They just were magnifying the law, as God himself came down in the flesh and magnified the law. As you read in Isaiah 42 and verse 21, I believe, God shall magnify the law and shall make it honorable. That's what they were doing. But this is what God meant. Far beyond just the physical nations, all nations of the earth shall be followers of the faith of Abraham. And Abraham is the first witness to all humanity that will become his children. And his descendants, specifically in the nation of Israel, became the body of witnesses. That's why they became the, the true church of God. And he said, verse 6, And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, physically speaking. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, in their generations. Every generation is telling him, I'm going to make my covenant with your descendants that come out of your own body. Sometimes on an individual basis. Other times when they all repent as a, as a, as a body of uh, believers. As a whole nation. As many times, you know, people of Israel came back to God. Uh, like in the book of Judges. And then the people of Judah many times returned. And then after that, partly. And then ultimately all of Israel returned to God. So God is going to constantly make an everlasting covenant in their generation. In every generation I'm going to make a covenant with them. For an everlasting covenant. Not for a while, but an everlasting covenant. Covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. That's why his name is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob that became Israel, the father of all the nations of Israel, to this very moment and into the future. God will always be their God and constantly make a covenant with them. That's why you see the ultimate there in, Je in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days will come when I will make a covenant with whom? With well, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And you cannot spiritualize that. See? This is what the full church had done. It's not just spiritual. It's also physical. That very nation will never, will never be rejected by God. This is what God says, and we're going to see a lot of that. As we continue, that's why we're going thoroughly through that. So no man can deceive you anymore after that. 
And so, it's important to remember that. Verse 7, very critical scripture. And then we continue to, uh, exact, again, in chapter 17 and verse 9. And God said to Abraham, now he's called Abraham. And uh, in verse 8, he said, uh, Also I give to you and your descendants, you and your descendants after you, the land in which you are a stranger, temporarily, all the land of Canaan is an everlasting possession. Everlasting possession. Not few years, not 3,000 years, but an everlasting possession. That goes into eternities, which we'll see later on. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants, not only you, your descendants too are going to have to do it after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep. You see, this is what makes us body of witnesses. This is the covenant. We ought to be people of a covenant. You know, like British, British. They're called British, but they're not people of a covenant. They've rejected the covenant. Yet, they're still people of the covenant, and they are going to be, again, people of the covenant, spiritually speaking, when their heart turns back to God. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and your descendants after you, every, not some of them only that think they should do it, but every male child among you shall be circumcised. You and your descendants. Anybody who claims to be a descendant of Abraham is obligated. Obligated by this covenant or else you are not a part of this covenant. You see? And that's for Abraham and his physical descendants. Not his spiritual descendants. That's something the Jews did not understand when the time came. They thought everybody should be. No, the physical descendants were commanded to be under this specific covenant because Israel was going to be a specific nation. Therefore, they were under specific rules and regulations which others did not have to come under. And that's what you find later on when you come to the books of, uh, of uh, what is called the New Testament later on, where the nations that were not physical descendants of Abraham were not required to do certain things. And the Jews thought, no, everybody has to do everything. And God never said that. God says, only your physical descendants, you and your descendants, Physically speaking, you're going to have to be a part of this covenant. And you shall be circumcised in the place of your foreskin. And that is an eternal covenant. And then if you go on, if you want to jump into the future, we're going to uh, get to it anyway later on. In the book of Ezekiel, when all of Israel is back in their land, and God dwells in their midst, and the temple is there, and the rivers of living water comes from under the temple of God. God says that, speaking to his people Israel, he says, no man uncircumcised in the flesh or in the heart shall enter into my temple. That covenant was never broken as far as God is concerned. And people can do with it whatever they want. But if you want to be a part of the true church of God, there are regulations and rules you're going to follow if you are to be of the faith of Abraham and it's not picking and choosing. And so that's exactly what Abraham did. He was 99. So some say, well, you know, if I was young, that would have been something else. But now I'm an old man. I'm, you know, 20 years old. I'm 30 years old, 40 years old. Well, how about Abraham? He was 99. Things getting easier. He still had feelings. Abraham circumcised himself, his son, 
the other son, Ishmael, all of his household, you see, they're all in pain, but they did it. God demanded that. If the household of Abraham, which many of them were not his descendants, were to be a part of his household and of his law and of his covenant and of his promises and be partakers, you see, from the beginning of time, God grafted individuals, not nations, but individuals out of other nations and made them part of the household of God. You see, nothing new about it when it came later on. Or just a continuation of that. And this is what the apostles had to remind the people uh, of their day, their own people, their own people of Judah. You know, you said, you, you forgot all about Abraham. How God called Abraham. And then he grafted into the family of Abraham, you know, the Eliezer the, from Damascus and uh, all the Syrians that came with him and all that. All of them. Yeah, they were to be a part of the, of the promises and be, and be uh, part of the, the household of Abraham. They all had to be circumcised. It was as simple as that. No complaints. And a lot of people complain today about it and say, why not? I know I'm an Israelite, but I don't have to do it. All right. You stand before God and tell him that. Let's see, you know, how well would you fare? Anyway, in verse, in chapter 17, we continue now in verse 15 and 16. And we read, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, Sarai, remember my princess in Hebrew, Sarai. It's a Semitic language also. Your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. You see? Sarah, princess. And, uh, but Sarai also means my princess. And uh, uh, Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. See, not only Abraham is the father of the faithful, Sarah is the mother of the faithful also, but beginning in specific first with physical nations. And then later on, as we read in the New Testament, if you're obedient to the faith, you become daughters of Sarah. That's what he was talking about to people that uh, were either Israelites or not Israelites. So it goes both ways. So she's going to be a mother of nations, but in specific it's talking about physical. Kings of peoples shall be from here. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, you know, it's human, uh, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Uh, in other words, said, well, God, you know, be reasonable. Uh, <laughs> but you know, forgot a little detail. Uh, God is always reasonable. Since he can do the impossible, he's always reasonable. We are not reasonable. And God had to remind him uh, of that. And so, we read in verse 17. Uh, uh, that is in chapter 17, verse 19. Uh, though Abraham would say, well, this time it's Ishmael. First he said it's Eliezer, and I said Ishmael, who, who was uh, his son, but not from Sarah. Because God wanted a couple there. Not only Abraham, but also Sarah. From both of them, he was going to begin the new race, so to speak. A new people. The body of witnesses. And... Verse 19, God said, No, that is not to Ishmael, nor to Edom, nor to all the nations of the earth, only Israel. That's what he said, that's what he always said, and that's what he will always say. And then others will come through them, but not instead of them. Never replacement theology. And so, God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. In other words, since you laughed, since Sarah laughed, 
You're going to call your son laughter. That's what Isaac means, you know, sense of humor of God. So every time they thought about uh, Isaac, they said, well, he comes laughter. And they, re- they remembered, you know, imagine every time they giggled, you know, when they, they heard about his name. And they told him the story, and so the story went on. And he said, I will establish my covenant with him. Now, not only you, Abraham, but now directly with him. For an everlasting covenant. And with his descendants after him. And he wasn't talking about Edom either, who was his descendant, you know, who was a twin brother. See, God makes the choice. When he says to Israel later on, you only have I chosen of all the nations, of all the families of the earth, he meant it then, he means it now, he means it in the future. And as Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar want to contradict the words of God. And some of them are in our own needs. And so that's what he tells them. And then we go to chapter 18, verses 17 and 19. 18, verses 17 and 19. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? In other words, he was on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and specifically sent the two angels to do it. Remember, when God appeared with the two angels, he came over for lunch uh, it's not that Abraham had a fast food restaurant, but uh, you see the intimacy there uh, in the relationship where God had Abraham, that was his friend. He was going to do uh, an awesome thing through him, reproduce himself in essence through Abraham and his descendants and have a specific relationship with his descendants, a marriage with his descendants. And it was a, a very intimate, close relationship so he could come and eat with him, have lunch with him. And the angels did too. And angels, as a matter of fact, continue to this very day. Well, you know, in most cases we're not even aware of it. But Paul made it very plain. Don't forget to entertain, uh, you know, brethren. Because some have entertained angels unaware. They did not even realize they're angels. And uh, none of us knows uh, oftentimes who they are. But God tells us, be hospitable. Because sometimes uh, somebody might show up for lunch and may never uh, know. You know, that's the ultimate Guess who's coming to dinner? Well, again, we're reaching the end of the tape, so I'm going to stop at this point saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time, this is Mordecai Joseph. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.